Before we start the show, I wanted to say thanks for listening. We want to bring you the best show we can, and sometimes it takes us a week or two to cut, edit, and present you something polished. But if you're the kind of person who wants to hear the long version with no frills and wants it as soon as possible, we're now putting our Ready Player 2 episode reviews on Patreon. Pay as much as you think is fair and get access to uncut episodes just hours after we record it. Join our community of gunters at patreon.com forward slash get to the good part, no spaces. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we are tackling Chapter 18. We have entered the land of education. I'll be honest with you, of all the chapters, I struggled with the next few chapters. Because this sort of going back to childhood and the forest with the treehouse and the math and and this, I, I, I get where it was going. It just was not as interested I suppose is the best way to put it. Well, one thing I kind of realized, Ernest Klein probably had a shit ton of fun with all the names of all the things in this chapter. That's right. We are going to have a reference showdown. Absolutely. There, there were a lot of references to shows and theme songs and all that good stuff. But I felt this went back to more like a kindergarten place. A little bit, but I it was kind of nice to... Here's some of the names of some of these programs that I used to watch in my own childhood. Like, for one, like to hear a reference that I wished had been in the first book, like Three to One Contact. Like, mm. I grew up watching that show. It was kind of cool. And Reading Rainbow. And well, hold on, hold on. Like, we'll have like, our show down here in a few minutes oh, yeah, okay, before, we, okay. before we get to that place. But All yes, right. so many references. But just to just to kind of drop the the situation here, the team now has rejoined. Everybody's back on the ball. Everybody's in place, right? They've materialized in Halcedonia, and particularly Parzival's a personal bee-free treehouse, which is located within the Friendship Forest of Faraway, which, again, all of this starts to feel very sappy and icky to me. And that he has it, of all places, he has it decorated like Chewbacca's lived-in home from Star Wars Holiday Special, which is just about the worst once a gunter always a gunter really just about the worst star wars reference to anything right it, it's just and for those but that he don't did know this when he was a kid so you gotta yeah, give that's him some slack it was him and his mom uh you know decorated the house put together this tree house this tree fort if you will and uh they decorated it up and you know in it of course is big old television which played all of the oldies so we're going to do a real quick reference show down here so did you watch 321 contact absolutely big comfy couch uh big comfy couch you watched you watched big comfy couch that's even a reference for you i don't remember that at all dude no 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 did i say yes i meant no i thought you had captain kangaroo i've heard of it did you ever watch it though no how about the electric company? I think I I had to have watched that. Yeah, electric company was like right up there with. Uh, it was kind of like a a weirder version of Sesame Street, and it would come on like I think even the same channel as Sesame Street. It was the three shows, right? The Electric Company, Sesame Street, and Mister Rogers' Neighborhood. Did you watch Mister Rogers' Neighborhood? Of course, yeah. I vividly remember watching Three to One Contact, Mister Rogers' Neighborhood. Definitely remember those. What about the Great Space Coaster? I never heard of it. I I remember it because of Gary Gnu. 
right? See, that's another reference I did not know. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Like, I could, I don't know why, but that's triggered deep in my brains, uh, deep in my brain, <laughs> deep amongst my the f- few brain cells is is Gary Gnu. But I had no idea that that was attached to Great Space Coaster. Like, I had to have seen the Great Space Coaster, uh, but Gary Gnu is the only thing that like captured me there. How about Pee Wee's Playhouse? You know, I know. I think I tried watching it and I never got into it. I only remember the specials. But I know that like there were kids my age watching it. Mm -hmm. The first time I ever really watched a Pee Wee's Playhouse related program was Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Right, right, and that was the movie. That the movie, yeah. But right, but he had like a he had like a Christmas special and some other special that was longer. Yeah, those I didn't watch. I, I. the only time I ever really watched a program, a Pee Wee uh, program, uh, like start to finish, was a uh, was the movie. All right, all right. So I want you to I want you to check something out for me. I want you to tell me this is from Pee Wee's Playhouse. I want you to tell me who this character is. It's Morpheus. Damn it! <laughs> you sure? We, already we, had, we talked about this. Did we already like talked about this. Book. Shit. Yeah. Okay. Well, fine. Look Forget at that. I didn't need to see it. You it didn't even like... need to say it. You knew that was coming. All right. Fine. Skip it. Romper Room. Mm-mm. No? Yeah, me Heard of it. You. Never saw it. Okay. Reading Rainbow. Oh, hell yeah. Good stuff. Butterfly uh, in the Sky. Butterfly in the Sky. I can go twice as high. I can go twice as high. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sesame Street, obviously. Bigly yes, yes for both of us. And lastly, yeah. Zubily Zoo. Never no, heard of it neither. in my life. Neither had I. All right, so let's add it up. So I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I got eight points there. You've right, got I got one, one that I actually remember seeing. Two, three, four. Yeah. Well, to be fair. To be fair. You were older than me mm, <laughs> then. Still thanks. are, but, you know. Yeah. You you might have actually like I don't remember when some of these when these ran. We're about like the late seventies, early eighties, mid eighties, early eighties, mid eighties, right? The the ones that were late seventies, early eighties, I would have missed. Yeah, anything that was like mid to late eighties, I was already kind of in my my preteens. I was a little beyond some of these shows. I think some of this stuff played, and I I had moved on to Saturday morning cartoons. And after school afternoon, you know, that, that the nice two hour cartoon spot with with Transformers and G.I. Joe, like that's where I was in the mid 80s. All uh, much of this other stuff that seems to be very mid 80s, late 80s, I missed. So, eh, what do you do? OK, so we come about and realize here, Morals basically were his surrogate parents and this was his childhood space, <laughs> his childhood well, surrogate safe space. teachers, right? Well, Did he actually I, call he called them like surrogate parents. Like those are literally the words they used. That he, he at this point, in looking back, he realized that that the Moros were like his surrogate parents, which is consistent with the first book. Yeah, and he'd kind of said something like that in the first book, but but he also mentions that the last time he was here was when he was eleven years old, and he basically had a breakdown because his mom had died, and basically everything that was the decorations and pictures and selfies and you know stuff like that was still posted up in this room. This this digital treehouse. Yeah, you get it. You understand why he wouldn't want to go back there. I mean, for one, he's grown up beyond going to that space. Mm-hmm. But also, it's a shrine to 
that time in his life when his mother was still alive and you don't yeah. really want to, you know, I get it. I think there's a point in everyone's life where you've lost, you lose your innocence and you can't go back to it. Like you can go back to it, but you're a visitor. You're not a participant anymore. Right. And, and he basically lost his innocence when his mom died is my takeaway here. Then coming back to this place was, you know, a representation of a time when he didn't really know that kind of death. Like his father had been gone for some time, but here, you know, the closest person in his life dies. And everybody has kind of that moment where you realize I can't go back. Did you did you have a, a moment of sort of innocence lost or a, a crossing over line? No, I had a very no. boring. The story of my life was is not worth being written about. <laughs> There wasn't a moment where, like, the next day you look like, back and, and you're like, like that, you know, the world like has that. changed. Not really. I, mean, uh, I, I don't know. Like, oh, give me an example of what that even means. What does that look like? I mean, like, like I didn't have like a, a, first a major, you know, death in the family that was, like, you oh. know, that that moment in sixth grade when you yeah. find your parents' hidden stash and you watch it and you go, "Oh, that's what that shit is about." Like middle school and, and elementary school does not prepare you for that shit. Like they, they can talk about it. They can separate separate you into the different rooms and kind of go over the body parts and, and, the, and the functional aspect here. But when you watch it, you go, this seems very messy. That I remember. Uh, I think this is this is cool. And then, and then after, you know, after that secret has been the veil has been lifted. Right. We've removed the curtain to see. You know, to see the wizard the innocence hand jangling all of the all <laughs> all of the levers to realize that that it is not this mysterious thing anymore. It's just a slappy body, messy, wetty kind of thing. And and still as a kid, trash scratching my head going like this shouldn't seem cool, but I guess it is. But now I know. You know, and, and the, the day after you're left kind of scratching your head going, what the fuck did I just see? Well, I think I think my moment. Oh, innocence lost just moments was ago. You doing this oh, with the candles, yeah. the puppeteering. Of, That's also my impression. Yes, of milk I think cows. that was it for me. So, yeah, there you go. I mean, mm -hmm. For those listening and not watching. Anyhow, but you get the gist like that. That's kind of that moment where, you know, immediately afterwards. Yeah. The whole world has shifted. The, the wizard doesn't really exist the way you thought it did. You know, reality gets much harsher and much more brutal or, you know, much more moist. You get the gist. You get the gist. But you didn't have any moments like that? Not that Sorry. I can recall. Like, <laughs> I don't know. You didn't prepare me for this question. I could have made well, up something it, that would have sounded give good. Give it some time to simmer. Maybe something will pop. Yeah. yeah I'll let it simmer. What was yours? <laughs> I was using a oh. personal life example. No, sir, that was a reality. <laughs> I thought that was hypothetical. Well, thank you for mm -hmm. opening Absolutely. my eyes to so, the inner workings of your life and mine. Uh, that many reasons, I suppose. And is that uh, why you so are the way you are? They open the map, which is kind of like the map from Dora the Explorer that has, you know, cute up song that they've obviously got to tell to shut up so they can just view the map. They realize where they need to go. And this is a part that I thought was kind of interesting because as they start to go downstairs, H shrinks to half size. 
in order to, to, to make it downstairs. Cause obviously it's been built for kids to go down and around and H is like, you know, freaking warrior, yeah. you know, but has to shrink to half size in order to go down the steps. So let's just stop for a quick second here. This is a capability that we're just throwing out there. And like all superpowers, like the, the minute you kind of bestow a certain power on someone, it, it rewrites what could have been done. This is kind of the challenge with having magic or some mysterious technology is that the minute you introduce it in order to yeah. explain something, you've really got to take into consideration how that might have affected shit in the past. Like, how small can they become? How many times could they have faced that enemy and just shrunk down to like the size of an ant to run and get past and then boop popped up to bigger? Or how big can they become? You see what I'm getting here? Yeah, it's kind of like right? this is a real this is quite an old reference, but sword in the right, stone, right? Right, like it's battle, the back and forth between him virus. and um. Or bacteria. Yeah, or something right, right. Like that. And they're going back and forth between animals to try Whoa, and test each other. And then he turns into a virus. And then what if she's a crocodile starts breaking out or some shit? Yeah. <laughs> so, it, yeah, I get it. But I know that movie too well for something I haven't seen in 35 years. Do, do you kind of get the feel here? Do you see what I'm kind of getting at? Like moving forward, I'm going to keep that in the back of my head. Like, how could they have bested the situation by shrinking? Or getting bigger, like bigger. Let's just assume they can't go bigger than 100% because just snapping your finger and becoming 200 times bigger, then you can just basically step on whatever enemy is challenging you. The thing is, like, you still have to think to do that in this situation. Treehouse, and like, you couldn't fit through the door. Okay, I'll shrink myself. But like, in, in other random scenarios, it's, you know, First of all, like it probably takes a few commands or hand movements or gestures to like make that change. So fine, but at least like in the first book, there was like a special item. Yeah, uh, uh, right, I, I hear your point. That, that you would have to use in order in order to change it. If you had to fly, you had to fucking have like sneakers on that could fly, right? That there was something you had that could give you or endow you with that ability, and we totally bypassed that shit. It's just H drops to half size in order to get downstairs, and you're like. Did did she have the amulet of of shrinkage? Half the amulet of shrinkage. <laughs> was I was cold? in the pool. I mean, <laughs> what it, it it it's these little things like that that kind of it caused me to tweak a bit because there's just a number of situations and you can go back to and say, would shrinking have modified that? How far can this person shrink? Is this like the movie The Incredible Shrinking Woman? You know, uh, you get the gist here, though. So, like, moving forward, moving forward, I'm not going to reflect too far back. Moving forward, I'm going to keep shrink in mind, you know? Like you do? Just to see if we can if we could use that to get out of a situation. Because okay. it feels like a power that was just thrown haphazardly in. And if you've seen Ant-Man, you know that shrinking and going full size is no joke. Like, if you can do that at will, you can beat the shit out of somebody. Or what if you could selectively enlarge and or shrink a part of part of your body? Could make an arm like a hundred times bigger just to be able to punch someone? Sure, yes, you get it. All right, so that's just something I want to reflect on. He's also remembering back to when his mom died, and she died evidently of of taking some heroin and something else that was mixed in that ended up killing her. 
And this is another thing I thought was kind of interesting was, uh, you know, we talk about using O&I to simulate what it's like to have sex and as, as different kinds of people, kind of along for the ride, if you will. But he goes on to describe the fact that, that he had since used O&I in order to figure out what heroin was like, you yes. know, to figure out why, you know, his mom would have done such a thing and had been removed from his life, unalived as it were. That kind of brings up an interesting question, which is if you can do drugs or if you can be in the O&I, use the O&I, and first off, would you, would you use the O&I to experience other people's drug experiences? Would I personally? I, I, no, I don't think so. There was something that bothered me about his little monologue or whatever here, talking about his mother and her, uh, her overdosing. I don't mean to like sidetrack what you're asking about, but sure. he wanted to know if the feeling was worth it like if his mother like thought it was worth losing her life for it. And the thing is like, it's not like she intended to lose her life doing it, you know? Sure. But I think it felt like the idea was, was it worth trading everything she could have had with him for that experience? But that's still a shit question. Yeah. And because when you're addicted, you're not thinking about trading your life for a pleasure. What you're really, when you're that far down the road, you're thinking about is, how can I stave off the pain that this substance used to bring pleasure with and now only brings something like a baseline of normalcy? Yeah. And right. the other thing I thought was interesting was where he's, he said that there was a way of experiencing it without the physical addiction symptoms. And the thing is, this is, this is stuff that's like the O&I is all about tricking your mind into feeling things that you're not directly feeling, but it, it's right. as close to real as you can without actually doing these things. Sure. So like, I don't think if you were doing, you know, heroin and O&I, that you wouldn't be protected from physical addiction. I agree. It would just be in a different form. I, I could kind of see that. So you don't have this chemical coming in and taking over the brain. But you do have the brain simulating the effect. I don't see it as being any different than like when you're trying an apple on the O&I and the part of your brain that receives all of the different nuances and flavors of eating an apple then simulates in your brain. Yeah, it's it's like it's like the release of endorphins is real, whether it's you get addicted to that. Right. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You can get addicted to that, which pleases you. But chemical addiction is is more than just an addiction to the pleasure from from your endorphins being released, right? It is an, an actual chemical coming into your brain that, that interacts with it in a way that is different than normal versus trying to simulate it in your brain. But isn't that being recorded by the O&I and being simulated by the O&I? The response? Sure. But it doesn't, it doesn't actually put heroin in your body. No, but it's the response that you're addicted to. Well, it's simulating the response, but the behavior of your body actually responding to heroin in in your body, I mean, I I, I think there's a difference there. First off, it's the okay. chemical of heroin itself, and your body's not just response, but it actually being in your body, and then what it sets up in order to create that addiction. But I could see somebody getting addicted to the experience, but I could also see somebody getting addicted to the experience of being in this surreal world, or people getting addicted to experiencing other people's sexual exploits. Like there are a number of different addictions, and there's this whole argument throughout the book 
about how addictive the Oasis is and how it, you know, it, it occupies people's time and is better than the real world. So the, the whole thing is addictive. Now, whether or not you're experiencing, you know, an Uber Betty or somebody on cocaine or eating an apple, it's all addictive <laughs> because, because the experience is so much better than the real world, right? It's it's like, you know, I'll take the steak, thank you very much. Damn straight I'm taking the steak. So good steak. Fuck yeah. So I could see the whole thing being addictive, but I don't see it as being as severe or the body having as much of a response. But uh, what what was the movie? We've discussed this before, and it's actually mentioned in Ready Player One. Dreamscape, I think is the name of the movie, right? And the gist there is that if somebody records themselves while they're dying, that because you can experience somebody else's recording, that if you try to hook your brain up to experience what somebody experiences when they're dying, there's a very good chance that you might die, that your body would yes. respond like the person who died. Yeah, I remember right? That's how real it is. So I, I get what you're saying. Maybe there is that thing. I'd, I'd kind of like to to believe that there's a little bit of an edge, a little bit of a risk there, that if a person you know, dies in reality, or if they're they're taking like cocaine or whatnot, like their body is responding in the same dangerous way, even if the chemical isn't there. I could kind of see a bent on that. And I would be curious maybe if the movie doesn't take that into that angle a little bit to kind of start to, you know, either explain how they curb the dangers or or whatnot. I, I get what you're saying though. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Aaron from the show. First of all, thank you for listening. Once you finish listening to this episode, do us a solid. Go ahead and give us a rating and write a review of the show. This lets us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people find us. And speaking of other people, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, we would love it if you told them about it. We can be found at gttgp.com. There's tons of stuff on there. You can learn more about us. There's an episode guide. And of course you can find our social media pages where we love geeking out with our listeners. Now, let's get to the good part. So they go through more stuff mountains. They avoid the mini quests. They go on to the Bee Free Forest to Holden's Rye Field. So uh, my guess is that that's probably a reference to The Catcher in the Rye, the book. Yes, uh, Holden, Rye, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and they start singing the theme song to Space Coaster. Which it's strange because that you know the space coast of the yellow car comes and picks him up, and he makes a special note that they they sit on fine Corinthian leather seats. Oddly specific. It is oddly a specific. I thought that maybe this was like a Deadpool reference. Have you seen Deadpool? I guess I've seen Deadpool. Remember when when the, you know he falls into the he jumps down and goes into one of the cars and they're fighting in the car and his face just smushed up against the back of a seat he goes ooh fine Corinthian leather and then the fight continues no it's it, not ringing a bell I have a feeling that this is not what that's referencing but it's just odd that a cartoon vehicle would have fine Corinthian leather seats 
apparently, according to the Wikipedia, mm-hmm. Corinthian leather is a term coined by the advertising agency Bozell in 1974 to describe the leather upholstery used in certain Chrysler luxury vehicles. Okay. So this this, this was a yellow Chrysler. I, <laughs> I don't know why it's finding itself into here, but sure, Corinthian leather. Why not? Maybe it just sounds fancy and wants to use it. Whatever. So... They make it up to the gates of Halcedonia City. So before we enter the gates, have I missed anything here before we have to do subtraction in order to get into the, the maze that is the, the city? Um, and like there was a few references in his uh, treehouse, but nothing major. Right. Yeah. Well, I, actually, let me, I, I will say something here. Okay. Halcedonia, this treehouse, all this time he spent here, seems like it's an integral part of Wade and his, you know, who he's become. The person it's very much like a backstory trip like i think this is the whole chapter feels like what we're doing is we're sussing out his background yeah and and, and right i guess what kind of bothers me about it and you know i hate to put it that way but it seems like such an important place for him and who he is to have not heard about it at all in this amount of more of this information about like what he used to do in halcedonia like it was a, it was a footnote in the in the first book sure uh, it, well, it, it, it was more like it just was it was just kind of glazed over, you know? Yeah. They talked about how Og and, and Kira had put it together and that it, it basically he got his education it was kind of his babysitter. It might have given like three lines to the fact. Yeah. And it feels like it would have deserved more given how much critical it was to who he became. And like, I mean, and the parallel to the fact that like Halcedonia and his little treehouse was that escape like there was a parallel between that escape that he had to with that treehouse and his hideout that he eventually found which was kind of like a treehouse kind of yeah just a, a it was a car, car house <laughs> but yeah um I, I agree but i think like in your first movie it has to do more with the here and now and there's an objective there are a lot of there are a lot of follow up movies right wherein you have no place to go but the backstory Right. You're kind of like, we've already introduced the superhero. The next movie is got is usually about something deeper about that, that superhero. Cause now you've been introduced, you know what they can do. There's maybe a little bit of character development, but you know, follow up subsequent movies then turn into, you know, a backstory character generation. Right. I keep thinking back to a lot of X-Men movies. Like the first X-Men movies we saw were really just the introduction of the characters and their powers. But then the movies that follow up end up being backstory stuff, end up telling you more about who they are and why they are and what's their sad story, what's their tragic thing. And this falls right into that. Yeah. I think this is the reason why a lot of like second movies and maybe second books don't do quite as well. Because while you need the backstory... It's really hard to replace the oomph of that character introduction. And here we've got Wade ending up being kind of a chump asshole. And as he's going through this, he's realizing more that money didn't make life easier. It, it's been his cheat code. It's it, it's made life lazy. And, and he's lost everything. He's lost his friends. He's lost his edge. Oh, yeah. And him moving through the book now is him refining who he used to be. 
being vulnerable and then using that to kind of build up on the relationship and come back to maybe who he used to be, like rediscovering himself. But that's rarely as interesting is that first introduction to the character and what they can do and how they overcome the bad guy. I guess you got to know where he comes from. Did you ever see uh, Gremlins? Yes. Yeah. Which movies of Gremlins did you see? One and two? I've seen both. And I actually, in the last six months, rewatched the original Gremlins. Oh, my God. Seriously. Yeah. And I didn't remember as much of it as I thought I might. I wanted to rewatch it because like I'd seen I seen the second one in parts, which I know you think is a, I mean, it, it's not the second one's kind of stupid. <laughs> second one's horrifically stupid. I'm not going to bother no. rewatching. It was just kind of it was that dumb. But I wanted to I wanted to watch it again because like, you know, I think we had talked about it recently in one of an episode. I'm like, I should rewatch this. It's like silly. I don't really remember it. And then I watched it. I'm like, OK, you know, it's all right. You know, the first Gremlins was up there in as one of my favorite Christmas movies. And then, you know, Die Hard came along and then that supplanted it. But like Gremlins was up there with me as a kid. And there was a little bit of backstory, just enough. The the character Kate Berenger, played by Phoebe Cates, right? She had a little bit of a backstory. And you're kind of like, oh, okay. So, you know, everybody's kind of got a thing for why they're From afraid. Her, can't her, do her days in Ridgemont. Yeah. The second movie like went down this path with Kate Berenger of this backstory shit for way longer than it should have. And I think it was meant to be like a joke, right? Cause the second movie wasn't a, wasn't, I don't want to say horror, but it wasn't like a, a thriller kind of thing. Whereas the first movie kind of was first movie was just a joke. It was a comedy at best, you know, Anyhow, the gist here was that's an example of where a second movie tried to go down the path of of going too far into a backstory, and it was just fucking ridiculous and pointless, and it was part of a joke. It just seemed more like part of the joke of the movie than anything else. Anyhow, I move on. So he says it feels good to be back, and as they go into the city, they end up bumping into a 1949 Buick Loadmaster convertible, which is what was used in Rain Man. So, so too early for Corinthian leather in, those, in that car. A little bit. So, but they're tapping stuff out, right? So Tom Cruise's character's tapping shit out. The guy that plays Rain Man. What was the, what was the actor's name Hoffman. that played Rain Man? Thank you. Dustin Hoffman. Sorry, sorry. So, so both of their characters are tapping something out. And this, in my mind, is an example of how in the first book, we were along for the ride in trying to sleuth out the hints, right? The, the, the best parts of the first book. And again, I hate to compare back, but the best parts of the first book in my mind helped to bring you along and you were trying to solve the puzzle with the book. And then the book would eventually go, aha. And then and then you're kind of along for the ride, right? It opens up. But here it's just like they, you're immediately told it's Morse code. Wouldn't it have been cool if there was some way to communicate the tapping and, and to let the reader kind of think about that and and discover that as being Morse code, right? Like, like they, they discover it way too early. Like it's tap, tap, tap. Oh, that shit's Morse code, but it's tap. It's spelling Morse. Wouldn't it have been cool 
if there was some way to communicate that tapping, that the reader could have figured that out before the character, and then later when they get together to talk about how all this shit's coming together and how Og left messages, then he goes, oh my God, you're right, that's Morris code because of the street, right? And the reader would have at least had time to have figured that shit out and felt, felt fucking accomplished and smarter than the character. I wasn't really bothered by that in this instance, because... Mm-hmm. The message in Morse code was. You just trying to get through the chapter? No, no, no. Just that the, 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 the message, uh, figuring out whether it was Morse code or not, wasn't the big deal. It was. Okay. He was tapping out the word Morse, which, as we know, moving forward, it's not redundant to it being Morse code. You know, it does right. have a meaning to it. The issue that I have with that that we'll probably get to when we talk about that chapter is we have no way of solving that on our own. If it if it if if it had been written out to be like tap tap dash or tap tap slap tap 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 slap tap slap you could have we could have figured that out. Well, right? we could have said oh that must be Morse code and then he, then like a few paragraphs later it's like ah the 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 Mandarax translator said that it was Morse code. It's like aha I I'm was just right. saying they could have not had a translator and it, 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 it's spoiling it for the reader. <laughs> it's not even giving the reader the chance to problem solve with the character which was one of the best parts of the first book. And I'm not trying to like grind on a little point here. I'm just saying wouldn't it have been nice it would have been easy to communicate something that the characters didn't quite pick up on that the reader could have. But the best we could have done like for your average reader has been like, maybe that's Morse code. Mm-hmm. But if they had like written it out, a person could have actually gone and figured out what that was. I get it. How, how weird would that have, what, how awkward would, of a, of a read would that have been if you'd had like six lines of tap, tap, slap, tap, right? Yeah. I, I get it. I, I, mean, I get it. I get it. I'm just saying it would have been nice if, if that hadn't been so quickly surmised. I mean, did you want to like gameplay the perfect game of Pac-Man 2? And, uh, no. No, I wanted <laughs> no. no. No, no. I made a left. Then I made a right. Then I went through the right Why side of the wall. Why did you go up? And then I went up. Oh, if only I hadn't. <laughs> no, no, I guess not. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll come down off of that. But that, it was one of those moments. I was like, you know what? This is really a missed opportunity to let the let the reader kind of figure I it know, out. I feel like taps and light, you know, like short taps, long taps, or whatever. Anybody could have easily deduced Morse code from that. It was more about what's the message and where does that lead you to. It was yeah. a little bit weird for for him to be like using Morse code to say the word Morse. Yeah, yeah, so, and we'll learn like, about that later. But yeah, you know. that's that's a bit like you know, <laughs> that's a bit like translating something to English, and what you translated just says English. <laughs> oh, what does anglais mean? <laughs> anglais, anglais it sounds mm. French. Let's <laughs> say. <laughs> All right, moving on. We get to Queen Itzalot's throne room, and by the way, I. I, I I love these fucking names. I, th- I feel like Queen Itzalot would be like a character in a Monty Python skit. Uh, and, and as it turns out, it's a perfect. Name and this is one of those little nonsensical moments. So you're kind of like, it's eh, a weird detail. It's a weird, it's a weird bit of filler, right? Where she's like, you're going to need 50 badges. And I immediately thought, that's a lot. That's a shit ton. Oh yeah, it is. It's a lot. Oh, I mean, it's a lot. Requires a lot. It's a lot of them. And yeah. But he already has them. It doesn't fucking matter. He already has them. Yeah. 
How convenient. He just, he just pulls out his sash from his digital backpack. Here you go. I feel like that's about as close to like using magic without using magic as we can. <laughs> like, oh, look at here. I happen to have this little like get out of jail free card. It's a weird flex, right? Because everyone else is like, oh my God, what? And he's like, I got this covered. Flex pulls out the sash. I was a it. loser when I was young. I got it's, this. I got, <laughs> I've been there. I've seen things. <laughs> it's a lot. When I was off the shoulder of Orion, I got the badges. You know, I don't know. How many? Two, two shoulders of Orion. Ah, 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 ah. ah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, bam. Fourth shard presented. And and we're into chapter 18, and it's only the fourth of how many shards? Seven shards? You had to ask. Like we're halfway through. Seven, seven, seven. Everywhere in this Everywhere. Book. And what do we see on the fourth shard? Well, first off, we've got the flashback. We always get a flashback. This was actually a very short flashback, which which is just Kira making a logo. You know? And, and you know, Aug is like, perfect! And then the big hug, right? But quick flashback moment. And how ironic or whatever that. It's at this point in the book that I I felt something like. um, Regret. Regret. (laughs) Uh, Wait, what is it like? Like you you don't look forward to this thing that is coming. Yeah. It's not regret. Regret is backwards facing. So far, I was kind of like. Dread. Forlorn. Dread? Yes, dread. Dread's a good word. I felt a bit of dread. Yeah. Uh, because I'm not a big Prince fan. And that is that that is what we what the symbol that is on etched onto the crystal is the uh basically Prince's symbol when he was going through his lawsuit for the use of the word Prince. And thus he cleverly created a symbol and he was then known as the artist formerly known as Prince couldn't go by Prince. He had to reference himself in the past tense and then use this symbol. Now, interesting thing about the symbol. It is kind of looks like a Mars, Venus mix-up kind of thing, but it looks more like an Egyptian Ankh. An Egyptian Ankh is a lot like a cross, but rather than the top line, you've got a circle. And an Egyptian Ankh represents immortality, which, given the place that we're going is kind of an, an interesting thing. And I'd never really thought about it looking at the the prince's onk, if you will. But w- when you research that symbol a little bit more, it actually represents, it's a, two parts of the masculine and feminine uh, um, sexual organs, right? You, you wouldn't happen to be looking at the same website I found about the symbol. No. No, I've just known this for a while. Oh, because I found this. I found the website that breaks down the Prince logo. Oh, I've not read that. So do tell. Let me send you the link so that you can follow. Well, along. Yeah, to finish up, what I was getting at is that the, the whole point behind immortality is through is through procreation, right? You, you can you are immortal through the children that you bear and bring into the world, and the children that they bear and bring into the world. Okay, so I'm going How to nice. Patrick-Anderson.com forward slash en forward slash prince dash love dash symbol decoded the love symbol decoded a fusion of symbols the eye of horus ancient egyptian right, symbol so of protection royal you've power, got the female plus the mars male arrow 
The Reverse 7. Now, that's interesting because I never saw the 7 that they were kind of I pointing at. I'm like, where was is not this seeing 7? That. And it's not really reversed. It's just kind of like... And then we've got this circle at the top that's this higher power. It's. I'm not seeing any reference to an onk here because to me, this just looks like a, a fashionable onk. And when you break that down, depending on, on, on how the symbol is, because it's been really abstracted, it represents a penis going into the vagina. So the okay. two arms and the loop are like female and the bottom, the bottom uh, shaft, if you will, is shaft. the male penis. Now it's very abstracted when you look at it, it just looks like a cross with a loop on top. But the more detailed symbols kind of go into it, and that's the whole point behind, you know, the 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 word for life or eternal life or everlasting life. I, I don't remember what I said previously, but you get the gist things. there. And that's what I see when I when I look at, at that symbol. Okay. Yeah. We don't need to dwell on it. Well, plenty of time to dwell no. on this symbol <laughs> later on, unfortunately. Oh god. Oh god. Right. So H loves Prince, evidently. How can this is her her thing? Yeah, Ugh. somebody in the group's got to be excited about some place they're going to, right? And everyone's got to take their turn. Every it, this is like everybody's got their turn to do their solo in in the big long jamming session, you know. In in this place, I'm kind of like I'm like Parzival. I'm not looking forward to this. I never really enjoyed it all that much. And this very much reminds me of when uh, a friend of mine that I used to live down the street with would force me to watch glam rock videos on Headbangers Ball on MTV. And he did it because I liked rap and he thought rap wasn't music. And he thought that if he just exposed me to all this, you know, heavy metal glam rock bullshit that I would get into it. And quite frankly, I did not. But the part that I thought was interesting here was the fact that that Parzival it at least admitted to the fact that the accusation of him being sexually confused by watching Prince was maybe partially true. Whereas before he would have totally denied it. Yeah. I, just, yeah. I don't know. I thought that whole part was unnecessary. Uh, it was an interesting personality bit, but well, you know, like, they could have left it out and it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. That's the, like, I don't think it adds anything to the story. I think it's just, I mean, I don't have a problem with it. And it kind of reminded me of something in my past uh, because the guy down the street who would expose me to st- st- you know, headbangers ball over hours and hours and hours had the argument that he felt like there were some music videos that were intended to subconsciously turn men gay. And his theory was this, that there were a number of videos wherein we would cut to shots of women posing scantily, scantily dressed, if not nearly nude, and then boom, pop to like a crotch shot with the guitar hanging, you know, of, of one of the players playing. Like the idea here was like, uh, what is it called when a car salesman puts up a really nice car and then everybody goes and the car doesn't exist? Bait and switch. Bait and switch. That, that these videos were, were doing sort of a sexual bait and switch. That was his theory. Again, I didn't like any of it, so I didn't buy that whatsoever. But it, it, this reminded me of that. Let me just put it that way. This kind of reminded me of that. But, you know, the, the, the idea that there is a world, the afterworld, that is, you know, a prince world that had been created, that it happens to be in this super cluster near Beyonce, Madonna, and Springsteen. I thought that was a, a weird mix-up. A little bit. And that it was a stylized recreation 
of downtown Minneapolis in the 1980s. I worked for a company in Minneapolis in the 90s. I'm not sure what Styled Up would have looked like. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying Minneapolis is a bad place. Got a lot of lakes. But it's it's not like Seattle, right? Like a stylized Seattle, I could imagine. But... No, not not what. I, yeah, <laughs> the, no, I, a stylized version of Minneapolis in the 1980s in my mind is just kind of like meh. What more spray spray paint? I I I don't know, but I get it right because <laughs> uh, Prince is from Minnesota. Yeah. So okay, fine. And that leads us down to the path now where Visal comes in and says, "We got to talk." Yeah, shit's going down. Yeah, I've got bad news and I've got even better news. Let's 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 take a, a quick hiatus and and chat on this. And that is where chapter eighteen ends us. It leaves us at this this cliffhanger, which is kind of nice. Like I like these little episodes. I like it when the chapter leaves you in a cliffhanger, even if the chapter's not great. It drags you into the next one. Yeah, because okay. you're like, what the fuck could be worse? What could be worse? <sighs> I don't know, but it, it also seems like. There's a lot of shit going down in this chapter. It ends in this rather dire note. And the thing is... What, that we have to go to Princetown? Yeah, I'm dreading that. I'm dreading that. But there's always the sense of urgency. Like, they are running out of time. And, like, there's just so much goofing around. And, like, like I mean, not, like, literally goofing around, but, like, they're, like, like they, it almost seems like there are moments where there's not... An un, they're lacking the understanding of the urgency. Like, let's not dilly-dally. They've got hours left, and the first book made it feel like every goal, every accomplishment, every challenge could take days. Yeah, so like, don't stand in the way of Parzival as he's trying to get out of the treehouse to give him a hug and then not let go for a while. You guys got shit to do. This should be a lot of them rushing to the next thing. There should be a lot of that. It seems like this is like maybe the second or third time we've gotten like the Doc Brown warning of like, don't touch anything, don't look at anything, blah, 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 you know, from Back to the Future Part 2 when they're in the future. Mm. And right. and he does that while they're about to go through Halcedonia. And, right. uh, and it seems like it's with good reason. There was also a mention to an, Ar- an Oregon Trail quest. I remember them passing over that. And my immediate thought after that was dysentery yes i put that in my notes i'm like but the o and i would you feel the dysentery is it possible that the o and i could trick your body into wanting to shit <laughs> is, is it possible that 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 dysentery in a game you would wake up from o and i having shit your pants i'd like to think yes i i'd like I've, i would love to just go into depth in a separate episode about the repercussions of what the O and I could do to the physical body, like what the reflection would be. So we can do, we can do a side episode on that. Maybe, maybe like what would we want from the O and I, if it was real. Anyway. Okay. So what, what did you like about this chapter? This was a little mini chapter six from the first book. You know, like there was a lot of references here, the little list of all the, the kid programs, which was nice. And then, mm-hmm. you know, like some of the, the literary references, and Halcedonia, the Cliffs of Salinger for, you know, where you go, for, like you do your book reports there. I thought that was kind of cool. And then, of course, you know, the the Holden's Field, which was rye, you know. Um, 
I, I, I want, I put a note in here, like, you know, does the cliffs of Salinger come with cliff notes for all of Salinger books? Cliff notes? Anyone? Cliffs? Cliff notes? I get, I get it. I, I'm, I, I get the cliff notes reference. You know, we were talking earlier about innocence lost, and I thought it was kind of an interesting that we've got this, uh, you know, Holden Caulfield's Field of Rye, and that's what that book is about, is innocence lost. Right. And the struggle of this one character who has been exposed to the world at a at a younger age than most and is, you know, cursing and, and all this other stuff. And uh, anyhow, it I, I know I'm reflecting backwards, but um, I thought that was kind of an interesting, you know, reference mm. that, again, kind of hinted to the state of mind of Parzival. I will say that this place sounds like a great place for young kids to, like, learn and do interesting thing like if i had had that growing up i might have had some fun learning yeah and he even says that you know as he's been going through this that he wished he'd come back sooner that he was really enjoying the the living through the nostalgia yeah i mean i could see that you're kind of indulging in your childhood a bit when things were simpler and take you back to a simpler time I, I think the bits that i liked and didn't like about the chapter kind of expressed themselves along the way yeah I don't think we need to go so, dwell on if we don't need we can nah, don't have to don't have to overview we can again. close so this let's out. wrap it up then Absolutely. All right. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. We will catch you on the next chapter of Ready Player Two. Thanks for watching. See you.